You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. So as I mentioned, we're uh, starting a, a new series right here before Easter. We're getting into Exodus after Easter, but I didn't want to get into Exodus and then just stop for a couple weeks and then get back into it. So we're going to get into Jonah. And let me just warn you, I do not like Jonah as a person. Just to warn you, I have this love-hate relationship with this book that we've made Jonah to be this hero, right? Like, how many of you guys have heard the story of Jonah and the whale? How many of you guys heard that story as a kid, right? Like, that's the main place we teach it, and I think that we get this misconception that Jonah is some sort of hero, and he's not, right? Like, Jonah is not a hero, and I think that's a really important thing for us to know and why I don't like him. This story is not about Jonah. This story is... Is Yes, he is the character, but it is about, about God's incredible grace that he has for us. His ability to use anyone and his relentless pursuit of us. I don't, to be honest, I don't understand anyone who names their kid Jonah. If you have a kid named Jonah, I'll give you some grace because you didn't hear me talk about it yet. But I feel like when you read the book of Jonah... It's obvious that this guy from start to end is a punk. So if you're thinking about having a kid and you're thinking about the name Jonah, please stop, right? Don't, I wouldn't name your kid after this guy. Again, if you did, Lord be with you, I guess. Um, but this, this guy is not someone who we should look up to. And we see it starting in the beginning and even, even just his name, Jonah. I talked about this on Wednesday. So again, if you're here on Wednesday... Pretend like you've heard it. This is the first time. Um, Jonah, his name means dove. That's what his name means. It's like, oh, that's so pretty. What a beautiful name. Jonah means dove. But jo doves to this culture, they were seen as senseless and kind of dumb. And we know this because earlier in the book of Hosea, it says in Hosea 7.11, it says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. So they compare this guy to a dove to say, eh, not the smartest crayon, not the brightest crayon in the box, right? Like this, I think it's kind of like how we view pigeons. Like you view pigeons as like, oh, that poor pigeon, right? Like you're like, oh, that pigeon, he doesn't know what he's doing, right? I think that's kind of how we see doves. And so I think the purpose of Jonah, when we even approach it from a name standpoint, is to say, this is a book about a senseless guy from the title. That should be what we get going into it. Like, okay, this is what we're expecting from the book of Jonah, is this guy is silly and senseless. And so again, I'm probably not going to say anything positive about Jonah for the entirety of the series. So if you're waiting for that moment, don't hold your breath. It's not going to happen. I don't like him. So let's just jump in from verse one. You will see why I don't like this guy, and it just carries through the whole thing. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of um, uh, Amity saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he goes in the opposite direction. And when I say that, we have a map. When I say that, he goes as far as he can. Like, let me get as far away as I possibly can from here. Tarshish was pretty, we're pretty sure it was a city in Spain. So he's going, let me get all the way across the Mediterranean here. Let me go all the way across as far as away as I can from Nineveh, right? He is fleeing as far as possible. And what scripture said is he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. We'll come back to that. And again, this is God asking him to go to Nineveh to begin with is not close. It's about 500, it's over 500 miles to get there. But instead, he goes in the opposite direction, 2,500 miles, which is the equivalent of from here to Portland, right? Like if you were like, I'm not doing it, I'm going, I'm going to walk to Portland, right? Or take a boat, which you, you can't take a boat to Portland, but like he took a boat to Tarshish, right? Like he was like, let me as fast as I can get as far away as I can from the presence of the Lord. So why did Jonah run? I think that's an important thing for us to understand is why Jonah ran. Like when we hear this story as a kid, we're like, you know, this like, well, Jonah, he didn't like those folks, so he left. But that's much deeper than just he didn't like those people. This is not like God asking you to go to Gainesville, Florida to witness to Gator fans, right? Like it's not just like, oh, I kind of don't like those people. Or maybe this section, I know you really don't like those people. Um, But it's still a little bit more than that. The people of Nineveh were awful people. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. So Assyria, they had been attacking Israel and had conquered a lot of Israel and had even tried to conquer Jerusalem, but they were fought back. So these are people who had been relentlessly at war and trying to conquer these people. And God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to those people. So this is a big ask. It would be like if he called us to be a missionary to the Taliban, Right? Like, this is not just a go witness to Florida fans. This is go witness to people who are hated, people who have attacked you, people who you don't like them, they don't like you, and if you go there, you might die. It's kind of what God is asking Jonah to do. And what's interesting is that Jonah, who is a prophet, that's why he has a book in scripture, he didn't see people the way God does. We should have God's heart for people. Something we see that Jonah did not have is God's heart for people. It's easy for us to care about our own family, even our church family. It's not hard for us to love people who are close to us or who are like us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, So as you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Who cares if you love the people who love you? Anybody can do that. That's not hard. People who have never heard the name of God or never seen a Bible in their life or don't have any idea who Jesus is, they love people who love them. That's easy. 
that it's hard for us to love our enemies. It doesn't take anything for us to love the people that love us, who think and act like us. But what about people who believe differently than you? Can you love people who are protesting on the other side? Can you love people who are criminals? Can you love people who are terrorists? Not from your own love, you can't. You can't do it from your own strength. And that's the purpose. Is leaning on ourselves, it's impossible for us to love our enemies. But if we can't do that, where is the love of God? In the South, we pride ourselves on loving people, right? That's something we do. We take care of people. We love people. We cook casseroles for people. We take food to people. We open doors for people. We say, hey, y'all, how you doing? We're sweet to people, right? But if we're only loving to church people and people who are like us, what does that show to the world? People shouldn't have to become more like us in order to be, to be loved. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't see them the way God did. Similar to how sometimes we see people who we disagree with or who treat us poorly, who may even be at war with us. And I think one of the biggest mistakes of all is that sometimes we don't see people at all. You're the, the server at your restaurant that you go to. Maybe the cashier behind the counter. You just see them as a job. Somebody's doing a job. We not, might not see them as people. The person who cuts you off and then goes five miles an hour under the speed limit in front of you, we don't always see them as people, right? We just see them as what it inconveniences to us. Instead, we should have God's heart for people. See people and understand, man, they might just be having, going through a really hard time. They might just not be focused. They might just be going through something I have no idea. We don't even think about them in scope of eternity. We don't even think about their humanity a lot of times. I think that it was probably surprising to Jonah that God saw the people of Nineveh and saw them as worth time and effort. Because again, this is when God is, is saying, go to Nineveh, this isn't just, hey, I need you to drive to Comer and tell them about Jesus. It's a, it's a little bit further than that. We're talking about 500 miles. It's about the equivalent of walking from here to Columbus, Ohio, or from here to Jackson, Mississippi, or to Tampa, Florida. This is not like, hey, I just need you to walk a town over. This is a journey that God is telling Jonah to go on because God cares about the people in Nineveh. Enough to say, I need you to go not just a little bit out of your way, but you're going to drop everything and go do this. We need to pray that God will change how we view people so that we don't end up like Jonah, running in the complete opposite direction. So Jonah takes off towards Tarshish, and we're going to pick up in verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were so afraid, each cried out to his own God. They hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down, to, down and was fast asleep. 
So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. And then he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, don't miss this, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what happens when Jonah runs away from the Lord? Nothing good, right? Look at the fact that it also doesn't just affect Jonah. It affects the people who are around him. Think about the stories in Genesis when you have these men who obeyed God. Think about Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, this promised son that he didn't have until he was over 100, right? And then you have people like Joseph who stood in the face of crazy trials and stayed faithful to the Lord and became second in command over all of Egypt. These men who obeyed the Lord, who stayed close to the Lord, they experienced the blessings of the Lord. And when Jonah runs away, disaster. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Don't run away from the presence of the Lord, but run toward him. The closer to God, the safer you are. There is safety in drawing near to the Lord. When we're focused on running toward God, we will find safety. And as Jonah runs further away from God's plans and desires, the more chaotic his life gets. And this doesn't just happen accidentally. This running toward God is, doesn't happen accidentally. There's a lot of people who aren't actively running toward God or away from God. Those people, Scripture calls lukewarm. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, it says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I don't know how many of us in this room are actively running away from God right? Like you're here in church on a Sunday morning. You're probably not running away from God actively, right? And so I think what's bad 
Maybe worse is for us to be stagnant, for us to be lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm water has no purpose, right? Like, you guys ever, like, tried to get some water and you're like, man, I can't even tell my hand is in the water. It just feels like the same temperature as the air as it passed through. Like, hot water has a use, cold water has a use, lukewarm water is useless. It's not good for anything. As Christians, we should be running toward God, finding shelter in his wings, in his safety. Maddie and I use this phrase all the time with Zeke. We say, there is safety in obedience. The other day, we were, uh, <laughs> I was at home, and I, I think I was getting their lunch ready. And Libby had come up to Zeke, and he like reached up like he was going to hit her. And I was like, you better not. He sat back down in his chair. And then she reaches for something again. He reaches up and he just pops her on the arm. And I look at him and he sits back so fast and pops his head on the back of the chair. I said, you know, bud, if you hadn't reached up to slap Libby's arm, you wouldn't have bonked your head. If you had obeyed, you wouldn't have gotten hurt. I think that's such a great rule for our lives. There is safety in obedience to God. And notice that I said safety, not comfort. There's a big difference in safety and comfort because Jonah going to Nineveh wasn't comfortable. Going to people who you don't like and who might kill you is not a comfortable situation, but it was for sure safer than where he was on the boat, right? This is for sure safer than what he was in currently. So they throw him overboard, and as I pointed out, the men on the ship who were calling out to other gods, right? You remember that in the beginning? They're, they're calling out to other gods to save them. All of a sudden, they throw Jonah overboard. The winds calm down, and they offer sacrifices to God. God was still glorified through this. Let me get to these two verses, which, again, I don't like Jonah, right? And you're going to see why. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Then you were in the fish for three days and three nights. And then you decide, let me talk to God for a second. You know, he saved me. From the depths of the sea, I've been alive for three days. I guess now I'll talk to him, right? Again, don't like this guy. Like, how stubborn do you have to be that you're alive in the belly of a fish for three days before you talk to God? That's a whole new level of stubborn right there. I, I cannot imagine. But again, maybe he thought he was going to die and he's just kind of counting down the minutes and then when he didn't, he calls out to God. I'll give him a little bit, the tiniest bit of slack. But again, not a fan. And again, this is not important that we know what kind of fish people talk about. Was it a whale? Was it? And I don't understand why people really care what kind of fish Jonah was in. Bottom line is it wasn't a ranch, spacious ranch style with a breakfast nook. Like this is not a five-star Airbnb that he's in. This is an uncomfortable situation, right? It's dark, and it, I can't imagine it would smell great, right? And there's just dead and rotting fish 
in there with him. So not great. Regardless of what kind of fish it was, what brand, it doesn't really matter. The, what matters is the point of the story. And after being alive for three days again, he finally talks to God. And I just want to preface, again, if you're reading these next verses, this prayer that he's about to have, and you're looking for an, I'm sorry, you were right, uh, I should have obeyed, don't hold your breath. He doesn't even come close to that, right? Okay, so let's pick up in verse uh, 2 of chapter 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you have heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Then the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mount, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When I was, my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I emphasize the word vomited there, because again... This fish could have just spit him out. Could have just like opened his mouth and Jonah climbed out or whatever kind of fish it was. Doesn't really matter. I don't really care. But he uses the word vomited here, which had the same connotation then as it does now, gross. And so the fact that this word is used here, there's a lot of theologians that believe this was a sign that God was still pretty displeased with Jonah. That the fish vomits him out. And that Jonah, he's displeased with Jonah, and as we'll see in chapter 4, because Jonah's heart is still not for the people of Nineveh. Again, as we just read this whole prayer that he prays to God, he's really just thanking God for salvation and acknowledging God's power. There's no, you're right, I should go save the people of Nineveh. Thanks for giving me your heart for people. None of that happens. His heart for the people is still hardened. And so again, he thanks the Lord for this. And he uses the phrase, I don't know if you call that phrase, the, the bars were closing. It was re referencing the gates of hell. Is The people in that culture thought that the ocean sank down into hell. That when you sank into the ocean, you just kept going until you got to hell. So that's what he's envisioning. That's why this prayer poem sounds like someone who feels like they're sinking into hell. Is that's what he thought was happening. And then the Lord saves him through this fish. What Jonah learned here... What it looks like he's acknowledging in this prayer is that God is unstoppable. God is unstoppable. It doesn't matter if you're on board or not. God's will will be accomplished. Amen? God is unstoppable. I pointed out earlier that it doesn't say just that Jonah was running away from what God called him to do. He was running away from the presence of God. Scripture is very clear to point that out to us, that he is running away from the presence of God. I think Jonah's mind thought that God was limited, and he thought, you know what? Maybe he's just in the temple. 
He's just there. And if I can get far enough away, he can't see me anymore. He, I won't be able to hear him tell me, go to the people of Nineveh. So this isn't just fleeing the people of Nineveh. He is fleeing the presence of God, not understanding the power of God. God's presence isn't in a singular location. He is not restricted by anything. He does what he wants. So as you look at your life, are you working with God? Are you trying to ignore or hide from him? Because when we move in the same direction as God, he cannot be stopped. If we're willing to lay down our wants in order to chase after his direction, we are moving with an unstoppable force. Therefore, we cannot be stopped. This is not a situation of maybe if I do God's will, he'll make it work out. I say this because I want you to feel empowered. That when we are chasing after the Lord... When we are drawing close to him, we are moving with an unstoppable force. Scripture tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. When we're moving with the will of God, even the gates of hell don't stand a chance. If we draw near to the Lord, ask him to help us see people the way he does, and we would start to walk in the will of the Lord, you would be unstoppable. The enemy cannot defeat you. Your soul is secured. Your body is temporary anyway. So when we're moving forward with God, chasing after his unstoppable will, we as the church become a powerful force. What God is about to do through a reluctant, senseless Jonah is incredible. But what he can do behind a passionate, motivated church is unstoppable. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be people who see people the way you do. God, that you would give us your heart for people. That we wouldn't just get distracted in our own lives or in our own um, opinions or agreeing or disagreeing or, or what we think someone should or should not be doing, but we would have your heart for people. God, that we would chase after you. God, don't let us be people who are lukewarm, who just got saved and we're like, that's good enough. But God, we would be actively chasing after you. That we would not be lukewarm, but that we would be hot on fire for you, moving with our unstoppable God chasing after your will. God, let us be the opposite of Jonah, understanding that the, it is futile to run away from our God, but we are unstoppable if we run with you. God, let us see people and love them the way you do. In your name we pray, amen.